0: Some days it feels like we're drowning in data, but data isn't knowledge. Data without context or the expertise to understand it is just something taking up space in your warehouse. That's where being insights-driven comes in. Insights-driven organizations focus on generating actionable insights rather than just collecting and munging data. Insights drive better decisions. Welcome to the Insights Factor. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ian Cook, the Chief Technology Officer at Seek, and your host today. We are lucky enough to have with us Crystal Lee, who's the VP of Data and Analytics at the Wild Alaskan Company. She's a strategic leader with over 10 years of experience in this field, working in e-commerce, direct-to-consumer strategy, working for some huge brands like Walt Disney, Chanel, Kate Spade, Colhan, and now putting her talents to use at a direct-to-consumer company called The Wild Alaskan Company. Crystal, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Ian. Great to be here.
0: Fantastic. Well, first, let's just start off with, can you tell us a little bit about Wild Alaskan and your role as VP of Data and Analytics?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, as you mentioned, Wild Alaskan is a DTC seafood company, notably a mission-driven company, with the mission of helping humanity live in concert with nature. And how that translates to business for us at Wild Alaskan is reaping the bounty that Alaska has to offer and making that more readily available to Americans in the rest of the US. A lot of people don't know, or you may you may actually realize when you go to the grocery store that a lot of your fish comes from other countries that's imported in, but Alaska has a ton of sustainable, delicious wild-caught seafood that is actually being exported and not even being sold to Americans here at home. So we're trying to definitely make a change with that and starting with our DTC business, which is about five years in the making.
0: Has that traditionally been because it's hard to ship it down to the continental United States? Or has there been other reasons why it's mostly exported out of the U.S.?
1: Yeah, it's actually, it's not that it's harder to ship, of course, because in fact, we don't use any air shipping in order to be more carbon friendly. We only use ground or boat shipping. But the real reason is because abroad quality and seafood have a higher value to them. And so they're willing to pay a bit more for that seafood, while the US, Americans in the US are less culturally aware of this phenomenon. And so we're totally willing to buy the cheaper fish that came from. Another place that is not only less healthy, but less sustainable for sure.
0: So is that been part of the day to day for you is not just the data and analytics about how you're selling, say, through to uh, whatever retailers sell, but understanding a lot more about your impact on the environment, understanding who is buying. That sounds like a a much richer data problem than just figuring out like hey we sold x hundred units in northeastern maine today
1: right yeah absolutely and that definitely ties back to my work at wild alaskan so my role being the head of data science and analytics and thinking through all of the not only making the data available to everyone in the company, but think about how it makes a strategic impact on the company. And of course, you know, thinking through how we can sell to consumers, how we educate consumers and how we get the product to their doorstep is all a part of trying to fulfill and further the mission that we have at the company.
0: I really want to dig into something you said there, making data not just accessible, but having it create a strategic impact. How do you know when data has made an impact like that rather than just people looking at a couple of numbers and saying, ah, okay, now I know, to use my example, how many units I sold?
1: Right, exactly. I think that it's about having the right conversations with the right people at the right time. So the way that I see that our team, our data team makes the most impact is that we already have relationships with the different departments, department heads, and all of the people on those teams in that they understand the benefit that we can provide and come to us at the right time. And what we really tell people is, okay, when you're beginning a project or even thinking about planning for the next quarter of projects or the next year of projects, that's a great place for um, the data and analytics team to come in and provide insights, right? So we understand the goal, the hypothesis of what you'd like to achieve, what your business targets are. And we're going to come back and say, okay, look, this is all the data you may or may not have known that we have. This is the insights that we have on our current member base, or we'll go out and do research on people that are not in our member base and say, okay, based on these insights that we have, uh, let's come together and think about what is going to have the most impact in terms of the tactics and the actions and the strategies that that team wants to take.
0: That I think is core to so much of what I'm interested in, what we do here at Seek is this interplay between having someone come with kind of a business focus, business question, and then a data group saying, like, we know how to help you answer that. One without the other doesn't seem to be as possible. So it's hard to call what you'd have as an insight if you didn't have that. All right what is the business question you're trying to answer what is the what are the open questions that you are looking for is that do you have a set process to go through that or is this just a since you're a small kind of scrappy company everybody's just talking together all the time
1: we do have some processes for that in what we call an alignment doc we generally follow very similar to agile methodologies and that will come together with a document that covers What are the business goals? What are the hypotheses we have here? Or maybe what is the problem that we think we're trying to solve? What does success look like? And what are those metrics for success, right? So, and that's again, where we get involved and say, okay, do I think that what we're building and what we're saying we want to measure, number one, is that possible to measure? And secondly, does that actually, will that give you an answer to say yes or no to your hypothesis?
0: This is something near and dear to my heart. I come from a bit of an academic background way back in the day. And one of the things we talked about all the time was validity you can measure something, but is that measure or that metric you have truly measuring what you have a question about? And a lot of times the answer is no. Like we were able to measure it because we could find data on it, but it's not truly getting at what we're interested in. It sounds like you're really working hard to answer that question on validity and making sure you're providing that kind of information. So let me ask this. When you say you provide insights, do you have a presentation method that is mostly working with data and showing people maybe charts? Or do they work routinely and come back and see like dashboards because they need the information repeatedly?
1: Yeah. So the the end presentation or tool absolutely depends on the type of question or the type of need. So when we do intake requests, we definitely think about what the output should be in this situation. Sometimes let's say it's the need to show people the proof that we want to go forward and try something new, right? And we have some data to back up those assertions, then we may create a presentation or in, you know, insert slides into a larger presentation that show that, well, sometimes we may do a post-mortem also in a presentation that kind of shows the story of what happened and what were the results. In other times, as you mentioned, they're ongoing and we need you know, a tool in our BI system for people to use. So for instance, one tool that we've built is for any promotion that we do, right? You can go in and analyze the profitability of that promotion later on using their LTV, using the cost of goods sold or the amount of money off, things like that. So that's more of a tool that you can play around with and teams can analyze on their own. How does this compare to our normal discount?
0: Is there a particular instance or... or maybe one project that you can remember that where this played out particularly well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we recently did some trials on the Facebook platforms Mm -hmm. and we were looking at several things. One was, do we do, so our normal discount was a 15% off your first order, uh, sorry, $15 off your first order. And then we compared that against Uh, giving out free product and different types of free product with different level of cogs. And then another one we did was a $25 off. And so we looked at that over time. And we did find that compared to the baseline $15 off product promos were giving us a higher LTV and a quicker time to pay back because you know, the cogs for some, the value of something is a lot larger than just the cogs to us. Right. And that also helps them as, since we're a membership, right, it gets them used to paying that same amount every month and not having one month lower and then the rest of your months higher. And then another thing we found was that in fact, the $25 off, which does extend the time to get to profitability, right. Since you've given them a higher dollar off discount. However, that did uh, decrease our CAC so much on the Facebook side that that was also a good option because we were converting more members.
0: Just for the audience listening, we've said a couple of things that I want to just double back on. One, COGS, cost of goods sold. CAC, consumer acquisition cost. So COGS, the cost of everything that goes into, I think you have a, a box of some kind that that gets shipped out. So everything that goes into yep. the cost of that, that
1: fish, the delivery, the fulfillment, the packing, et cetera. And
0: then there's customer acquisition cost, meaning what did it cost you to, to, to get that person as a customer? So these are all interesting things. And you just mentioned uh, a minute ago the ability to adjust your cogs, which I think is interesting. So. In terms of collecting all this data, you also seem to have a lever where you could say we can increase or decrease the COGS for a particular package. So you're moving things in not just like a marketing perspective where it's $15 off or $25 off, but you can also say the cost of getting it to that person is something we can experiment with, which I think is really interesting.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So by playing with different SKUs of -hmm. what might be something that's discounted or that's free, then we can say, okay, well... There's a balance between what's interesting to certain people, like scallops might be interesting to some and spot prawns might be interesting to others. They also have different cogs that also fluctuates year over year based on the natural catch that is made since we're a sustainable company. We're never going to you know, harvest more than is available. So all of that can be played with to, to balance what might be the optimal gross margin that you can get.
0: So as part of your job, you're talking about not just acquiring and using data on the customers, but everything that goes into and through the system. So you are, and correct me if I'm wrong, kind of a central store for all of this data for so much of the company, which means there's got to be a lot of people coming to you with those kind of business questions. And again, getting back to this idea that you're not going to be an expert in, I don't know, maybe the the catching of the actual product or the logistics to go from a three, well, third-party logistics provider. You've got to work really heavily with those other people to figure out exactly what those are when they come to you and say, I need to see the data on COGS and what it costs to get to Southern Florida.
1: Exactly. And that's why I love to work with the different departments have a relationship with them, understand. And then we always recommend, you know, don't just come to us when you say, okay, I would like to measure this or I'd like to set up a test. Actually, we would love to be there to hear the context of what the campaign is or what, you know, what the initiative is. The better we understand it, the better we can put context around the numbers we're seeing and also understand, you know, is that data clean, right? The more we understand, the more we go, okay, well, that number doesn't really make sense to me, let me go back and make sure that this data pipeline is all good.
0: So this is clearly where your expertise in cross-functional teams comes in, because one of the things I hear repeatedly, and I've lived through myself, is the, please bring the data people in sooner so we know how to help you answer particular questions. So I think that's a really interesting perspective. I do want to get back to something that I feel like I've skipped over a little bit. And I remember now at the beginning of our conversation, I even misstated talking about like, having retailers. You don't have retailers. You're direct to consumer. So I'm interested in understanding how you collect data or get more data about how you're selling. So can you draw for me a little bit of distinction? I'm used to more of the CPG world where you get point of sale data. I know this many boxes of cupcakes sold on a Wednesday when it was rainy, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, we're really lucky to be in DTC. And I think there's a lot of, a lot more control that you have as a retailer, as a DTC. And that's, you know, part, part of why I think this is an area that's growing in addition to as well, you know, like being at the right place at the right time in terms of being a consumer package good. You know, important on one side, DTC is also important in that we have a lot of control over what We collect and also what users experience, right? So we own the website and we own the data that comes into the website. And we are able to track a lot of things, right? Within the bounds of what is um, legal with PII, obviously, but a lot of uh, behavioral things that we can track too, that are anonymous that tells us how people are using the website. Uh, It tells us how many times uh, people tend to visit a page. Um, We can use that data plus. We have a direct line to the customer in that they have given us their account information, their email, and we have the ability to talk to them directly rather than, for instance, a CPG where, let's say, Walgreens has that information, but you may not have that information. And it just, yeah, it gives us a lot more opportunity to play with personalizing that experience.
0: And it sounds like then you become a little bit more of the expert in exactly what it means for someone to be on your website. If I'm, like you said, scallops, and I'm really trying to decide between scallops or the spot prawn, you can see people making those substitution kind of questions. Do I really want the, the scallops this time or do I really want the prawns? And figuring out, you know, where people make those decisions so that you, when you say work with the cost of goods sold, maybe, oh, it seems like people spend a lot of time trying to figure out the two. Maybe if we lower the price of one, we can get them to buy both. Suddenly you have a net gain.
1: Exactly. And we can do a lot of testing and learning and we have that instant feedback of uh what are what our customers doing that provides us uh, quick information to understand, you know, what what's working for people and what's not. And then in addition to that, we also collect data that people personal data that people volunteer to give us, right? So we have, for instance, new member surveys where we're asking them, you know, how would you rate yourself and your ability to cook uh, wild caught seafood? or how many people live in your household things like this and we get a really surprisingly high response rate on those and so it's great to have consumers tell us exactly where they're at these are not things that you could even buy from a third party vendor for a because nobody else is asking how good you are at cooking wild caught seafood but it really helps us understand you know like where they're at in their journey what content we can can we provide them that helps them Uniquely, right, someone who's a super beginner versus someone who considers themselves a professional chef, they need totally different recipes and content. And then we also see how that then over time affects their LTV, right, and tells us where we need to focus.
0: So I can see this being really interesting data that a lot of CBG companies would want that can't get it because they're working with retailers. What about the other direction? Is there any d- data out there that, you know, if you could just magically grab it you'd really want to see?
1: Yeah, there's still a lot of data that that we don't generate internally. And that's a lot when we go out to uh, look at uh, acquiring new audiences, right? So a lot of the data that we do have, right, we can get it so-called for free by asking our members. But if you're not our member, if you're a totally different segment of the market and we'd like to understand you better, that's not something that we have because we haven't collected it personally. So that's definitely an area where we still rely on uh, third parties to help fill in, you know, what are those personas? Where are the other areas of the markets and, and how are they behaving?
0: When you collect this data, it sounds to me like there's a real challenge in getting it all into a single place. Do you, so you're acquiring a little bit of data, you're collecting a lot of data, but you're also collecting a lot of data from the people that have other sections. So I'm not entirely sure how you grab data from the catch. Do people hand enter it or do you have like APIs into some form of boat counting fish AI camera?
1: (laughs) So we actually don't extend currently that far down all the way to the boat. Although our CEO is a third generation fisher, comes from a fishing family. So he totally understands All of those, but we do get industry reporting that tells us the total available catch. That is the amount that is allowable for the boats in that area of Alaska to catch that would leave enough to make sure it's sustainable for many, many generations to come. We so we do look at that, consider that in terms of which partners we work with. We do currently own a processing plant. So that's something we're integrating in to be able to understand and have more control over a vertical vertical integration. But certainly there's a lot of data that goes into it that's already very well managed by the state of Alaska that ensures the sustainability of the product that we're selling.
0: So it becomes a data normalization and, and data connectivity problem, getting it all in, making sure it works with each other, making sure it all resonates and that you can work with it in any Absolutely. one place. That your analysts have one place that they can see all of those things.
1: Yeah, and there are certainly challenges in a lot of those areas in operations that you'd be surprised how much it is still handwritten or just described to you. APIs are few and far between for those kind of sources. So a lot of times we still do a lot of transcribing and, you know, like looking for ways to automate as much as we can. But to a certain extent, you know, like those operational industries are not not looking to deal with APIs.
0: <laughs> So I can understand that a lot of this data goes into affecting day-to-day things. Should we increase the coupon? Should we uh, run an experiment on a website? Or did this experiment work not? I'm thinking more of going up the chain of um, strategy. How often and how much do you use data to inform the overall strategy of the company? And can you give me some examples of where that might show up?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it goes all the way up to setting our company-wide KPIs. So at the very top, you know, like, and this is very much a partnership with finance in being able to build from bottoms up what is affecting uh, our actuals and what's affecting our forecast, and how do we then build upon that to create the targets that we're looking so that we we're, we're growing year over year as a company. Prior to having all of this data in, in an easy to use place and very accessible for our teams, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of manual work, or, you know, like taking a percent of what we see and applying that further down the chain. But now what we can do is actually build everything from the bottom up, say, this is exactly how many SKUs that went into how many orders that resulted in how much revenue, how much exact cost was related to those exact orders. Every piece is building from the smallest building block. And we're building up to say, okay, this is a pretty accurate view of how we got to this number and these are the levers that we can pull that will have you know whatever kind of impact
0: i know tons of companies including ones i've worked at that would kill for that kind of lineage to be able to just say here's how it rolled up to every single level and got to affect the like you said the key performance indicators your KPIs and you can measure that and say this is how, exactly how we're doing and see the value of that data really really quickly that's fantastic
1: yeah our auditors also really like it, too.
0: I don't doubt it. <laughs> You've mentioned for Wild Alaska, environmental issues are, are key. You've said described yourself as a mission-driven company. Do you focus on data as well and sort of the larger environmental impact of fishing, your percentage of the fishing, the situation in Alaska?
1: You know, I would love to do more and more of that. We do at some baseline so we understand how we're shipping, the carbon impacts of those methods of shipping, and we've done a lot to make sure that we can access the entirety of the U.S. by ground shipping, ground two days. So it's one day is our ideal, but within a two-day ground shipping radius, we can get shipments out to every single doorstep uh, in the U.S. And so that's been um, a strategy from the very beginning uh, to really look at where are our fulfillment centers, how does our procurement and fulfillment network look? Um, the operation team works very hard um, in working with last mile carriers, uh, so that and the reason we do this is because ground shipping not only does it cost more, but it's a whole lot more fuel usage, a whole lot more carbon, and we want to avoid that at all costs. So, you know, n- so that no part of our uh, supply chain is relying on something that's so carbon heavy. And we'd love to continue to expand that towards other areas of the business.
0: Is that something that can react quickly to the data? Can you see something creeping up and then and then shift fairly quickly in terms of your logistics or your supply chain? I always think of supply chains as, you know, very hard problem to solve. I've worked in logistics in the past and not the, the fastest to adapt to changing situations. So it sounds like you're constantly evaluating this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we do this by, you know, we have our overarching KPIs, but then we are always looking for what are the leading indicators that are going to help us see those red herrings of what's happening, right? So we do have APIs into most of our last mile carrier. And so we can look at, for instance, uh, the issue rate that's reported back, the delay rate um, of every single carrier. And we have our own contracts with every single uh, fulfillment center, um, especially this is especially important in um, cold chain storage and cold, cold uh, like, you know, frozen fulfillment uh, as all of our fish arise frozen, um, that we're keeping a daily eye on those kind of more leading indicators to say, okay, well, if this is out of the norm compared to the last week or the last month's worth of our data, can we, and then have all the right dashboards in place to say, okay, and we saw that it came from this, fulfillment center with this fulfillment partner or this last mile carrier, then we immediately go and talk to that partner um, and and think about what to do. And if it's, you know, like it can escalate to a point where, OK, we need to switch last mile carriers, but we have a diversity of them in order to, to kind of spread the risk.
0: Are there people in your company, you specifically and others who are constantly looking at those kinds of dashboards? Do you have sort of a, an ongoing yeah. control panel of this type of information? Is that is it used across the company?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's the first thing we look at. So every morning I give a five to 10 minute spiel with our leadership team in our daily standup. And we look at all these business critical stats to say, is there an outlier? Is there an incident? And this covers operations, it covers finance, CPA, which is cost per acquisition, the same thing as CAC. So we look at that. We'll look at our customer service center and how many Calls were bringing it in, yeah.
0: Without giving anyone any names or company sense of information, what was the last outlier that you saw that everybody was like, oh, we've got to do something?
1: I think one recent interesting outlier is that we saw a huge usage of one promotion code, and it was linked to a certain type of revenue, like a type of action that members could take on the site. So... Revenue types could be like gifting or new revenue or renew revenue, things like that. So we saw a spike in one of those revenues. And so then we said, okay, well, what was the campaign that drove this? Was this a super success, right? And as we dug into it, we realized, okay, so it turns out that it, was very successful in terms of visibility. And we saw it. We saw it play out in terms of the usage of redemptions and the number of people placing orders. At the same time, it had some effects on inventory and supply chain. So then we were able to then quickly pivot, get a group of people together and say, okay, in order to be able to service this sudden spike in inventory for this item, like, what are we, what are steps we're going to take today to make sure we can fulfill these on time to our customers?
0: Oh, fantastic. So another question on this kind of thing. What is the most surprising bestseller you have that you wouldn't have expected but sells really well?
1: Ooh. I mean, I don't know if it's surprising. Our scallops do really well because they're delicious and they're giant and we only have them sometimes of the year. But having tasted it, if you had tasted it, I don't know that you would call it surprising either because it's just an amazing product.
0: (laughs) I I love scallops. I also uh, happen to love cooking shows, and I know that scallops are the one of the things that if you are a risk taker on Top Chef or some other show, you'll do scallops because the chance to completely mess those things up is so high. So I'm a little surprised about the scallops because I would expect that there's a lot of concern about trying to cook those at home. Like I, if I had these gorgeous, huge scallops, I'd be like, I don't know if I can cook these the right way. So clearly people are willing to take that chance and, and enough of them are are not overcooking their scallops. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. And I have... Some really interesting data around this exact cooking shows scallops and cooking them at home because we collect data on all this, obviously.
0: So, do you know like when people are cooking scallops on a, on like Top Chef, and you could expect to have like a, a ah! surge in <laughs> scallop orders? Ooh,
1: I wish we knew that. I wish we knew that. You know, I should just go and write a little script to ping me whenever it's on Top Chef.
0: I would bet somewhere out there
1: yeah.
0: somebody has a data set on what. There's got
1: to be a website tracking this. Uh,
0: what, what dishes were cooked at what episode of the Top Chef and like, how did the person do? And then you could just look the next day. I know correlation is not causation, but still they lean heavily still, in that direction. If they
1: both go up, I'm happy, right? <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> but what is the data you have then?
1: Yeah, so we actually do do live cooking programs that we offer to our members to join. And we take data on the people who join those. And for one particular campaign, uh, was it, it might've been prawns or ground sockeye, things that are not necessarily, like, especially for something like ground sockeye, it's Mm -hmm. a ground meat, but it's not like ground beef. People might not be as aware of how to use that. We actually saw that, for those people who signed up and also did attend the zoom cooking show we had like a 50% uptake on purchasing that special and then even for people who signed up but didn't attend the show had some uplift compared to the people who did not you know sign up at all so for sure interesting you know learning a lot
0: <laughs> it's almost like your version of the in-store demonstration like i i'm trying to think of correlations between the DTC and the true retailer-focused CPG world where, you know, things that you can't do that CPGs will often think about is like placement on a shelf. Can I get an end cap? Can I get something going to, to help increase the visibility, but you've got to focus much more on, like you said, you did experiments on Facebook. I'm sure there are things on, you know, all of the social media. Well, maybe not all of the social media, but a great, great portion of that. But this is terrific because that's an interesting way to get people to think about how to use it, which, you know, you walk into a grocery store and you've got a couple of recipes up, you've got people chopping and showing you exactly how to use it. So that's really interesting. Right. And that's, not, exactly. that's really hard data to collect. Like I can't Think of how somebody was like, well, here's how many people stood around and watched me make mac and cheese with Gruyere the other day. But you can get how many people watched, how many people ordered then the next day. So that's really fun.
1: Exactly. So, and it's it's fun to design these things. And yeah, if we think about the ways that we can get to a single source of truth on our customer data and then design everything we do to optimize that in a non-creepy way, then. We can get a lot of great insights. I think the corollary, the corollary that I might think of is in SOAR is back when I was in MBA, we, we tested out some software that was using eye tracking software, right? So then you might count up how many eyes were looking and mm-hmm. how, how many were paying attention, things like that. Instead, on the website, for instance, we use scrolling and mouse hovering to see where the attention is.
0: I have done both of those kinds of studies. That's really interesting. You brought up your MBA from Wharton, which people tell me is a pretty good school. The uh, ability to pick where you wanted to head would probably be pretty high. Did you start in data and know you wanted to stay there?
1: Actually, I started back right after undergrad joining Disney, which I think is what really piqued my interest in kind of B2C and consumer. And I started out doing corporate strategy. And it wasn't till after my MBA that I actually entered into the data world. But there were a lot of, you know, like a lot of transferable skills over to the other. And then I've also picked up a lot more technical skills as I've progressed in this half of my career.
0: Was there a, a moment or a project or a particular job where you said, I'm going to go work a lot more with the data directly?
1: Absolutely. I think that when I was at Colhan, we started out and that's, you know, it, the DTC part of Kohan covers multiple channels, right? We have outlet, we have retail, we have wholesale, and we have DTC site. So there was, you know, a breadth of that data sitting around. And, you know, we when I started there, we were at a much more immature place when it came to data in terms of being able to automate it, to automate the cleaning of it, to make it accessible to people, right? So I think that's where, when I first started working on that, and that's where I first started thinking about single source of truth and customer databases, and just it unlocks so many things once you have that, or if you can get that into the hands of the people, your coworkers, basically, right, in a in a friendly playground sort of way for their analysis, and yeah, that is absolutely what what kind of drew me in to get more and more technical and understand more and more, do more and more of the data engineering on my own to really understand like all the pieces of the pipeline that actually impact the final
0: product. So you came into data with a pretty heavy business understanding, especially for a particular company, and now you're running teams. Do you hire for people who have that business understanding? Or how do you, if not, how do you get them that kind of business clarity?
1: Absolutely. I think that depending on the level, for sure, having some sense of the importance of the business objectives And general strategic thinking is important. So a lot of times during our interview, we talk about a problem solving or presenting something, especially with a homework assignment to not only analyze the data, but also present it in a compelling way. And that's also something we work on with my team as they're growing in their career, right? Is it's so important for data to not be relegated as number pullers, data pullers, but to be a strategic partner. And the more that you can be open to thinking about that, to thinking about your partner's problems and how it affects the business, the more you can be that strategic partner. And in the end, I think everyone in data would find that to be more interesting uh, as their day-to-day life than pulling data.
0: Data visualization has been a real revelation to me is I come from a background where we did statistics and econometrics and machine learning and just kind of spits out a number and you're like, well, this is the number for you. This is the number you wanted. But the storytelling around it has to be so much stronger than it. it's something I came to much more slowly in my career than than the coding and just working with numbers. It sounds like this is a big part of the kind of training you have for the people you work with.
1: Yes, absolutely. The, I mean, the numbers are almost nothing without the story behind it, right? And that's something that I was lucky enough to learn early on in my career. And it's, I think, not a coincidence that Disney, a great storytelling company, required from you know corporate strategy that you are telling the right story with the data, and that's how you get deals done. The only way to convince someone that this is the way we want to go rather than the other way, or the only way to even have a robust discussion is to understand the story that the data is telling us.
0: So, Crystal, I want to say thank you so much for your time and this conversation. Before we head out, is there anything that you would like to tell those folks considering DTC or currently in DTC on their products to think about with their data and how to approach the whole problem of getting the data that they need?
1: Yeah, I think that working on a way to get to identifying your customers and making it very easy to link that to business uh, KPIs such as LTV or CAC and being able to automate that or let people play with that. LTV
0: Um, being lifetime value. So the value of a customer. Lifetime value,
1: actually. Yes. So how behaviors impact LTV and allowing teams to be able to play with that as a tool, I think is something that always sparks interesting conversation and can really, go from data insights to action.
0: Fantastic. All right. Is there uh, anything that you would like to say on where people can find you? Are you active on social media anywhere?
1: Yeah, absolutely. On Facebook and Instagram as at Wild Alaskan Company and the same for our website, wildalaskancompany.com.
0: Terrific. Thank you so much, Crystal. It's been an absolute pleasure and I wish you all the best, and I'm going to look at the Wild Alaskan website because some of that, some of those scallops sound fantastic.
1: Absolutely, thank you, Ian, and uh, hope to see you in my database as a customer
0: soon. <laughs> Absolutely, thank you. <laughs> this podcast is proudly sponsored by Seek, the leader in cloud-based creation and delivery of industry-focused insights. Thank you for listening. If you liked it, please feel free to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.